0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, church. First service did this. You guys did it too. We sound like we are in your bedroom right now, and you're in your bed, and I just woke you up from sleep. And I'm like, good morning, and you're like... Good morning, or it should be more like, good morning, <laughs> like why would you wake me up? So we're going to try that one more time, because I am a very active person, and this is going to be an active message. I need you guys' participation, so this is, this is great practice. Get ready. Are you ready? All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, so much better. Thank you guys so much. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was amazing. That's not the only time you're going to have to interact with me, so prepare yourself. Get ready. But for those of you that do not know me, I am Josh Hall, uh, one of the children's directors here at Riverside, and I absolutely love it. So I'm so excited that you're here, so excited to be here. I just want to let you know that I am a little bit sick, so if my voice sounds off or raspy, that is why. So to the Shank family sitting here in the front row, you guys are in danger. Everybody else, you are okay. Um, But I want to meet you if you're new. If I I already know you, I also want to say hi to you. So I'll be at the front after service. Don't shake my hand, but I will say hi. Uh, I promise I don't bite or I won't get you sick. But I'm excited about this morning because we're talking about big picture. And I when I heard that this was the sermon series that we were in, it took me back to when I was in youth group and my youth pastor said to me that we only see a fraction of the big picture of life. That we don't always see the big picture. God sees the big picture. We see a fraction of the big picture. And that changed my perspective for me of what it meant to go through life and follow Jesus. And so I want to test that theory. I want to test your brains and see how smart you are and see if you can see a tiny picture, tiny part of a picture, and figure out what the bigger picture is. So can you guys help me with that? Can you participate? Yes. Okay, that was not a resounding yes, but I know a few people will help me out, so the rest of you can follow along. So what's going to happen is I will put an image up on the screen that's very zoomed in, and then I will ask you to just yell out loud what you think that image is. So you guys ready? All right, let's see the first one. What do you think that is? Yell it out. Did you, did you say horse? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it is not a horse. <laughs> All right, yell it. So we got cupcake. I think I heard a polka dot shirt. Shoe. All right, let's see what it is. Put up the next image. Candied apples. Got you. Listen, I got to tell you guys now, if you didn't get that one, it does not bode well for the rest of this. So let's put up the next one, this next picture. So I need, a, I need to qualify something. You guys are definitely going to say Legos, which is right. But it is also wrong because it is what the Legos make that you have to guess. Who said that? No way. Put up the next image. It is Starry Night. Somebody said Starry That is incredible. You are my hero. Uh, my girlfriend, Hannah... She surprised me by taking me to the Legoland exhibit, which is at uh, Carnegie Science Center. And this guy makes art with Legos. And he recreated Starry Night with Legos, and I loved it. I cannot believe you guessed that. Wow. Only person to do that. So next one. This is the last one. The screen's not broken. That's the actual picture. So what do you think it is? Yell it out. Cloudy night. (laughs) Cloudy night. Anybody else? All right, let's go to the next screen. It is the iPhone X. I got to be honest with you guys. I didn't actually zoom in on that picture. I just picked a black background. But if I had zoomed in on that picture, that's what it would have looked like. So <laughs> with the exception of one of them, you got one out of three right. So you prove my point that without seeing the big picture, sometimes we only see a small part. And it is hard to know what the bigger picture is when we only see a small portion. But the good news is, is that like I said earlier, we serve a God that sees the big picture. God knows the big picture, and he will tell us how our life fits into that picture, even if we can't always see what is happening or what is going on. So when it comes to the bigger picture of life, we have to trust God in every single area. No matter what it is, no matter if it makes sense to us, no matter what it looks like, we have to trust God because he knows the whole thing. We can't see the full thing. And so you know, this month, we are talking about one day to feed the world. And I gotta tell you guys, I absolutely loved that video that we watched earlier because typically when you see videos like that, it's a bunch of kids who are poor and they look sad and they're not happy and they're very sad and they're eating their food, and it's a very melodramatic, melatonin thing that you're watching, and then they ask you to give to that, which those people do need help. They do need your help. But I love that video because it is a true image and portrayal of what kids in those situations are like. I have been to many different countries on different trips, doing missions. I've had the privilege to be able to go and do those things. I've been to Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Southeast Asia, and Myanmar, and Cambodia. And every single time I have seen a child that is in need, that is facing poverty, facing struggles. They are orphanages. They don't have their parents. They don't have all the things and luxuries that we know here. They are so happy they have so much joy, not because of what they don't have, but because of what they do have. And I love that that video portrayed that. One day to feed the world portrayed that. And I'm excited to talk about that this morning because this month we are learning about the bigger picture as it comes to serving other people. And this morning we are specifically talking about that in finances. One way to help other people, to be generous to others, is with our finances. And I am still very much learning about the bigger picture when it comes to finances. I just this past week met with, uh, you guys know Donnie Marsh, he's our youth pastor here, he preaches here a lot. I met with his wife, Shelly, to make a budget because I need a budget. For 28 years of my life, I have not had a budget and I finally made a budget. So yes, thank you. That is an exciting thing. I am on my way to being an adult. It feels good. It feels good. So I am very much learning about this. And I got to be honest with you guys. When I found out that I was preaching about finances this morning, I laughed because I was like, David, do you know that I don't have it all together? Uh, And then I realized it seems like every time I'm up here preaching, It is always the message that I need to hear the most. So I have gotten the picture uh, that this is something that I'm still learning about and need to learn about as I preach it to you guys. And I also need to be honest and let you know, I feel kind of weird talking about finances with you. Because finances is a controversial topic when it comes to church. People don't like people asking them for money because it's yours, right? It's mine. It's my money. Do not tell me what to do with my money. And I was like, oh, man, this might be one of those Sundays where people kill the messenger. But (laughs) it is important. It is so important to talk about finances when it comes to God. Because if we are all in, if we have bought in to this all in thing, if we follow Jesus, if he has every area of our lives, that includes our money, no matter how much we may not want it to. And so it's important to talk about that. And Jesus talks about it a lot. Jesus talks about our finances a lot. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus gives are about our money and our possessions. In one out of 10 verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of 10 verses are about money and the things that we own. One out of every 10. That is a lot. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money and the things that we own. And I think the reason why he did this It's because typically, when it comes to our finances or the things that we think are ours, that we own, our possessions, those are the things that negatively tie us to this life, that negatively tie us to this world, because we feel like they are ours, and they give us security, and they make us feel good. And that is not the case. So this morning, I want to read to you a quote that comes from a guy named Mark Batterson. And he wrote a book called All In, and that is no coincidence. He wrote a book called All In, and I read this paragraph from him, and it wrecked me. So I'm gonna read it to you guys. He says, let me be blunt, because on the subject of money, Jesus was. Obedience can be measured in dollars. So can faith. So can sacrifice. It's certainly not the only measure, but it's one of the most accurate. If we give God 2%, of our income, can we really say that we are 100% committed to him? I think not. If we withhold the tithe, can we really say in God we trust? If we give God our leftovers instead of our first fruits, can we really say we're seeking first his kingdom? God doesn't need our money, but he does want our heart. And where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Happiness is not the byproduct of making more money. It's the byproduct of giving more money no matter how much we make. To me, that passage talks about true generosity, what it means to be generous. And as we talk about the bigger picture this morning, big picture people are generous people. Big picture people are generous people. Big picture people are Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 people. Because they are the kind of people that want God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And one way we can do that is by being generous with our finances, with our time, with the things that we own. Big picture people are all in in every area of their lives. And so this morning we're going to be camping out in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And I want to read to you first. We're going to go through verses 1 through 15. But I want to read to you verse 6. I feel like this is a good way to start off. And verse 6 says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I have heard this verse used in many ways. And I have heard it used before for people to say, if you don't give much, you won't get much. But if you give much, you will get a ton And people usually connect that to material things. But this verse is not about how much your money will increase because of your generosity. It is about how much of an impact your generosity will have. Because impacting people is a gift. When you are generous, when you impact people's lives, that is a gift, and you receive much from that, more than you ever think you ever could. And so when you are generous, people will receive much from you, and you will receive much from the way that they respond to your generosity, from the way that you have helped them, from the way that God has used you in their lives. And maybe God will give you money back because of your generosity. Maybe he will replenish everything that you've given because you were generous. I don't know. But I do know that God's blessings come in many different forms, And they are not always financial. This verse is not about how much money you will get, how much investment you get 10 times over, 100 times over. It is about how much of an impact your generosity will have. And so this morning, the question that I hope to answer is what does it mean to be a generous person? And I am not going to be the person answering that question. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15 to get the answer for that question. And as we read this, it's important for you to know it was written by a guy named Paul. And the people that he's writing to are all in people. They are all in. They're serving Jesus. They're following Jesus. So Paul is talking to them openly and bluntly, much like I'm doing to you right now. And we'll continue to. Paul is open with them. They have bought in. They are all in. So if you're in here this morning and you don't serve Jesus, don't automatically clock out. Don't think this message is not for me. Because I want to tell you that God has a bigger picture for your finances. People need our generosity in all ways. So whether you follow Jesus or not, there is something for you to receive from this morning. And if you are not following Jesus, I hope that what you receive from this morning is the generosity that Jesus had, which we will talk about later, because that is more important than your finances or anything that we talk about this morning is God. And I hope that you will see that. So let's start in verses one and two of 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Verses one and two, and they read, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. A generous person is eager. Generous people are eager to help. Generous people are eager to give. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't feel like they have the resources to be able to give, they trust God and they give. They are excited about it and enthusiastic to give to God's cause. Be excited about helping people. Be excited about blessing others. Because it also says in this verse that the excitement of these people to give encouraged other people to give. And we, as people who follow Jesus, if you do follow Jesus, we are to push one another, challenge one another to continue to serve God. And if we are all in, then we are serving God with every area of our lives. Generous people are eager. We continue in verses three through five, and they read, but I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. A generous person is ready. A generous person is ready to give whenever they are called upon to give. And I don't know about you guys, but if I were the people receiving this letter, if I was in that crowd, I'd be a little offended with Paul. I'd be like, you have the nerve to tell me that you would be embarrassed if I did not come ready with the gift that I promised I would give think I am? You're sending people ahead of me to babysit me and watch me to make sure that I'm going to give? Come on, Paul. Come on. But he wasn't wrong for doing that. Because there are people, myself included, who say that they will do things and they do not follow through. A little over a year ago, I was here and I was preaching. And you may have been here, you may not have been, but I talked about this kid that I sponsored in another country. His name was Kirby. Kirby. And I sponsored him, sponsored him first through the youth group that I was a part of, and then we stopped getting funds in for that, so I took him on myself. Sponsored him for a few months, and then I did not manage my life in such a way that I was ready to fulfill the promises that I had made. And so one month, I didn't have enough money to give to Kirby, so they tried to pull the money out, and it didn't come. And so they sent me a warning, and that continued to happen over and over again until it piled up and I owed hundreds of dollars to sponsor him. But I never came through. I never paid it. And they took Kirby away from me. I got a letter in the mail saying that they took Kirby away from me and gave him to somebody that was going to sponsor him, that was going to come through, that was ready to fulfill the commitment that they made. I don't look on that memory with fondness. But it is a reminder that I will forever manage my life in such a way that I am ready to answer the call that God has placed on me to be generous with the money that he has given to me. I now sponsor a girl. Her name is Kim Hoy, and She lives in Kampong Spa in Cambodia. She wants to be a teacher someday. And I've gotten to visit her twice now. And she acts all weird when I come around. She, I think it's because I'm a guy. She'll, like, say hi and then run away and be with her friends and then look at me and giggle and all this stuff. And she's just, she is incredible. I have loved spending time with her. And I will never, ever let that payment go. I will never manage my life in such a way that I cannot provide for her and other people. Because we are supposed to be generous. Nothing that we have is ours. God has given us every bit of money, every single possession that we own. God gave us our lives. So who are we to hold on to that with a closed fist? Everything that we have is in heaven, right? I mean, if we follow Jesus, that's truly what we believe. Everything that we have is in heaven. Every treasure that we have is in Jesus. So why do we go through life with a closed hand, a closed fist when everything that we have is borrowed? If I borrow something from a friend and then I hold it with a closed fist and I choose not to give it back to them because I like it so much. Well, then I'm a thief and people are going to be coming after me to take me to jail because I've stolen from them and I won't give it back. So why do we feel like we have the right to do the same thing when it comes to God? Everything that we have on this earth should be held with an open hand. Whenever God comes to us and tells us to give to something, he lays it on our heart to give to something. We're being asked upon to come to somebody's aid. Open hands. We should answer that call and be ready to answer that call. We continue in verses 6 and 7. And they say, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. A generous person is cheerful. A generous person gives with cheer. And this isn't about just giving. It's not about just your money. This is about being obedient to God. If God has asked us, if he has truly asked us to give, we are supposed to be obedient to him and we are supposed to be obedient to him with joy. That is what it means to be a cheerful giver because giving is a part of our obedience to God. And I will tell you this morning, if you are giving your money to something, if you're tithing to a ministry or giving your money to something and you do not feel good about it or you don't agree with it, then you need to pray. You need to pray because either something is wrong in your heart and that needs to change or something is wrong with the ministry that you're giving to and that needs to change. But either way, God has called us to give. He has called us to be generous people with our time, with our money, with the things that we own, all of it. And so you should be sure that what you're giving to is a good cause. And if that is the case, it doesn't matter how much money you were giving to that, you should give cheerfully because you know that God is doing work there. That God is doing something through your generosity. So we should be cheerful when we are giving. Give as freely as, as God has given to you, and do so cheerfully. We continue in verses 8 through 10. And they read, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the Scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. A generous person is secure. I cannot tell you how many times fear has kept me personally from giving. And I know that fear keeps other people from giving. Because for me, whenever I let fear keep me from giving... It was because I can hold money. I can see a paycheck. I can see the money that's in my bank account. And when I have enough, when I know that I'm going to be able to buy food or pay my rent or do things, life is good. Or at least it feels like it is. And I can be secure in that. Or at least have what I think is security. And so I've been there before. I have been there where I have withheld tithe. Because I just felt like I couldn't make it if I didn't. But man, I got to tell you, when I started faithfully tithing and giving before anything else, giving to God of the first fruits that I had and not my leftovers, it always seems like money comes through. I am always taken care of. I have never been late on bills. I have never been late on any of my payments because God comes through with being able to sponsor a child, with being able to go to mission trips and do things. God will take care of you. God will make sure that his children are provided for. God is never going to punish you for being generous. God will never punish generosity, ever. If he has blessed you with something, it is his in the first place. So if he tells you to give it to something... You should obey and give and know that God will take care of you. Do not be afraid. Fear will kill you. Fear is a killer. God said he will take care of you. And if you are all in and you truly believe the power that our God has, trust him. Trust him to come through for you every single time you only see a portion of the picture. God sees the bigger picture. So if he's telling you to give to something and it doesn't seem like you have the finances for it, you can't see the big picture. God sees what is going on. Trust him. Be secure in him. Verses 11 through 14 say, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. A generous person gives the good news. When you are generous in any way, not just with your finances, with your time, with everything that God has given you, when you are generous, people see Jesus. If you do it in the right way. And I have seen people be generous the wrong way. I've seen people give millions of thousands of dollars to things and do it so that they're in the spotlight, so that they look good. That is not the heart that we give out of. The quote that I read earlier said that God doesn't need our money, but he does want your heart. God wants your heart. So when you are generous, do it with the heart that is pointing people to God because true generosity points people to true generosity. And there is no greater generosity than the generosity that we have seen in Jesus Christ. Everything that we have is from God. Not just material, this life that we are able to live, the freedom and the salvation that we have come from the sacrifice that Jesus was able to make for us and willing to make for us on the cross. That we could not pay for ourselves, but God graciously chose to pay for us. That is the generosity that we are imitating. We can never match it, but we can imitate it. And when we do that, people see Jesus. And people need Jesus. Much more than our finances, they need God. So if giving to something, being generous in giving of what you have to people helps them to see Jesus, your work has been done. God has worked through you and your generosity. A generous person gives the good news. And then we close it out in verse 15, which simply says this Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. A generous person is thankful. It is a gift to be able to give, it is a gift to be generous. When you truly understand the generosity that God has given to you, you understand that it is a gift to be generous to other people, to give them what they need. It is a gift, such a gift. So the thing this morning is really simple, but it is live generously, live generously We were generously given this life that we live, so we should be generous in all that we do and with all that we have. So I want to encourage you, don't just have generous moments. Don't just have times where you give to something like one day to feed the world or you have a sponsor kit or anything and you have a generous moment. Live a generous life. Live a life that is constantly and consistently generous, showing people Jesus, this God that we serve. And if you're in here this morning and you are not serving this God, he has a bigger picture for your life. There is so much greater out there for you that God has that you can't see right now, but God knows it. And you will never regret following him. So the question that I want to leave you with this morning, the question that convicts me and helps me to put my generosity in check is this. How will God's generosity affect your generosity? God is generous, more generous than we ever deserved, more generous than any person that we will ever meet. He is generosity. That is at the nature, at the core of who God is. And I've said it probably a hundred times, this message, and I will say it again. Everything that we have comes from God. Everything comes from the generosity of God. So that should inform our generosity. That should affect how generous we are towards other people, or when God tells us to give to something, we give to it. And I'll say it again, as I said earlier, if you don't feel good about giving to something, some ministry that you are pouring into, pray either for God to change your heart or to show you that you should not be giving to that place and you should give somewhere else. God will guide you if you seek him on this. So I want to tell you that the win for this morning is not for you to be guilted into giving. I pray that that is not what you're walking away from. I don't know if anybody's offended by this message or didn't like that we talked about finances this morning, but I do not want you to be guilted into giving. The reason why we're talking about this is because this cannot be disconnected from God. There is no disconnection from it. And if you truly serve God, then you truly know that. Dig into Scripture. Read these 15 verses that we went over this morning over and over and over again. Don't just take my word for it. Your relationship with God is not through me. It is between you and God. So take this to him. Lay this at his feet. See what he says to you about this. And then cheerfully be obedient when he tells you to go and do something. That doesn't let you off the hook. If you are truly going to be all in, that means every area, even the uncomfortable ones. God has a bigger picture for your finances and for your life so I'm so excited this morning because we're doing communion. So after I pray, in in a few minutes I will pray, and the worship team can come back up right now, and they'll be up here playing music. And if you look at the four corners of the room, there are communion elements all around. And after I finish praying, you may stand up immediately and go and take those communion elements back to your seat and then hold on to them because Abby Davis is going to lead us through communion. And I got to tell you guys, I should have just let her preach this morning. Because what she had to say about communion was so good. It was so good. And so before we end, I want to read to you this verse that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And it reads, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is the ultimate picture of generosity. There is no greater generosity that we will ever experience in this life. Jesus became poor so that we could be rich in all ways. Jesus wants us to have the best life. And although that may not look the way that we think it will, it is the best life that you will ever live. So if you are following him, if you are all in for God, be encouraged by that. And if you are not yet all in, if you're still on the fence or you haven't thought about God at all, I pray that you would give him a chance. So as I said earlier, I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to play. And after I finish praying, you can go and take the elements to your seat and we will take them together as Abby leads us through communion. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are and for all that you are doing in our lives. And I pray that as we have talked about generosity this morning, that you would help us to see the generosity that you have for us and be that generous to other people. That we would trust you with every area of our lives, including our finances, God. That we would not hold tightly to anything that we have been gifted by you but that we would hold it with open hands, and when you tell us to let go of it, that we would let go cheerfully, that we would be glad to be generous to other people because our generosity points them to a truly gracious and generous God. God, work through us and work on us, work in us, God, to continually draw closer to you and give you everything that we have to give. I pray all of these things in your precious name.